I'm Stephen. I get to, uh, it always falls over. My water ball always falls over. I'm Stephen. I get to be one of the pastors around here, and it is so good to see all of you this morning. Um, I have, uh, actually, next month, I will be married for one year. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, you guys, yeah. A year ago, I was baby Stephen, and now I'm a, now I'm a man. No, so it's, it's been a great year. It's been a, it's been a year full of adventure. It's been a year full of uh, yeah, what, I, what I like to see is in, in Ephesians 5, Paul says that the, the point of this is to prepare your wife to see Jesus face to face. And it always works perfectly, right? That is how it always works. No questions asked. It has always great smiles, and it's just happy, happy times. But, but no, we've had a great time. We've, uh, we've gotten to go on a lot of trips. We've gotten to go to Sequoia National Park. We like to overnight. I know it's crazy. We like to go overnight to Sequoia National Park and because uh, it's closer than Yosemite by 30 minutes and that hour all together is uh, really nice when you're only there for 12 hours. But we do these outrageous trips. It's fun. We've gotten to welcome people into our home who we knew well and people we didn't know very well. We get to have people stay with us and it has just been a blast. Um, so something I've learned after being married for the long time that I've been married, I'm pretty good at this so far. So one thing I learned is, uh, yeah, everyone's looking at Hannah and they're like, she's like, no, he's not. <laughs> I get it. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I learned one specific thing. I grew up with two brothers and a dad and a mom. So if you're doing the math, any of you mathematicians out there realize it's four to one ratio. Um, I never put the seat down. Like, that's just not a thing I ever did. Um, I went from there to college where I lived in a dorm with 60 other guys who also never put the seat down. And then I moved into a house with 10 other guys where we never put the seat down. And so marriage, it, it really influenced me and challenged me to put the seat down, to learn this thing. It's funny how women change you, isn't it? Yeah. John's like, yeah, oh yeah, you got, you got it. So John, yeah, the same thing. So that was one thing. I also started looking at flowers differently. I never, ever once thought I was going to care about flowers. Is this just nonsense? Like, why do women love flowers so much? But I, I go to Trader Joe's, and every time I'm at Trader Joe's, I look at the flowers. And so, oh, that's a cute flower. Look at that. Oh, that, look at that one. That's like purpley, and it's got like, ooh, someone put some baby's breath in there. <laughs> She's changing me. I don't know. It's just crazy. And <laughs> it's just nonsense. And so... I also love ice cream a lot more now, which is not good for my body. But Hannah loves ice cream, so now I have to love ice cream more. And it's so interesting that the way people influence you when you live in close proximity to them, it's so interesting the way they influence you and they start to change you, isn't it? I remember in college, I started to talk like my college buddies. In high school, I would talk like my high school buddies. And when I grew out of that, I started talking like the people I was around. And it's just so interesting the way that we're influenced. And here's a picture of me and Hannah on our wedding. One year. Oh, yeah. The shout out. I love it. But it's so interesting because Micah is actually going to be talking to people who had that exact same experience, but in a slightly different way. They had that exact same experience where they were in proximity with people. They were in proximity with their culture, and it changed them. It changed them in a way that they didn't want to admit. And when in marriage, it's a good thing. I've liked the way Hannah's changed me. How are flowers are very pretty. In Micah's context, it was a little different. In Micah's context, they were influenced by the pagan culture around them, and it was starting to creep into the way they practiced everything. It started to creep its way into the way they worshipped Yahweh, their God, and they started to uh, uh, welcome other gods as well. And we've talked about this in a bunch of the books in the Old Testament so far that we've been preaching through, but, but the Israelites were changing. And it wasn't a good change. In fact, it was a change that was dangerous and setting them up for destruction. 
And so what I want to do today is, is take a glimpse into the book of Micah. We're going to be in chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. I'll have the ver- words on the screen. But, but see the way that Micah is going to call out the Israelites for allowing the culture around them to change them in the worst way. So jump in with me <coughs> in Micah chapter 1. We're going to cover eight verses. I understand that it's four slides. I get that it's oh, four slides of text. They're short verses. We'll get it. Eight verses. So here we go. It says this in Micah chapter 6. It says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and your enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people. He will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from, you gotta be careful how you say this, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's told you, O oh man. And this is the verse we all have memorized. We know it forwards, backwards. We know it in three different languages, three different translations of English. We know this. He's told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for showing us mercy. Thank you for showing us kindness. Thank you for being a God who redeems and loves even in the midst of judgment. God, as we unpack your word today, I pray that you show us a clearer picture of who you are and a clearer picture of the love you have for us. God, use Micah 6 to show us what it looks like to trust you, to love you, and to find our greatest delight in you. We pray this for your glory and for our joy. Amen. So here's our big idea for today. Short and sweet, five words. God desires, excuse me, God requires relationship, not Ritual. I'll say it one more time for us. God requires relationship, not ritual. Where is it in the text? Hear what the Lord says. Arise, please your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth for the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will not contend with Israel. Real quick, um, is there anyone worse you want to have against you in court than God himself. What Micah's doing here is he's painting a court case picture. And we have the accuser, God, uh uh-oh, and we have the defendants, Israel, and we have the witnesses, the mountains. What, is that odd? Why does he call them the mountains? Now, real quick, I don't think this is the biggest point in the text, but I want to explain why he talks about the mountains, the hills, the mountains, and the foundations of the earth. Because what he's doing here is he's calling Israel out to say, what did I do to you? 
Don't you remember the history of your people? Don't you remember what happened in the whole Torah that you've been looking at, the whole Old Testament, the history books that you know and you have memorized by the time you're eight? What have you missed? Look at the mountains. The mountains even know. The mountains, the creation, the stuff that I made from the beginning of time. They've seen it. Plead your case to them. Go on, see. See if they will buy it. I created them and they saw my faithfulness generation after generation after generation. Give them your case. I have an indictment against my people. And again, there's no one worse you want against you in a court of law than God himself. Like, who, who can you try and fool? Even the best lawyer can't <laughs> stand against that. I mean, it's, it's worth a shot, but it's not going to work out well. So he says that, and here's our first point. God's providence is faithfully and has been faithfully upon his people. In the text, it says this, the Lord has an indictment against his people. Micah has three different sections, and we saw it in the, book, in, the, in the video, but Micah has three different sections that they start off with a hear Israel, listen Israel. It starts off to the nations, or excuse me, it starts off to the people, and then it start, goes to the leaders of the people, and now he's going to call out the nations and say, these three different sections, I've been calling you guys out, and here's the third section. He starts off with an indictment a court case. They call it a rib, a rib court case. I don't know why it's called that, but it's called a rib court case. A rib court case where he's actually calling them into court and saying, defend yourself. You've been making this scene, defend yourself. I get uncomfortable when I read this stuff. Do you guys guys love when the Bible just like calls us out and it's so comforting and nice and you feel really good and happy, don't you? No, this is not a fun text. Again, we're going to work our way to the fun passage in verse 8, but, but for the first seven verses, he begins to paint this pretty uncomfortable picture, this uncomfortable picture saying, I've been faithful through your worst parts of history, through the most uncomfortable parts of your life. I've been there. And now he's going to say, oh yeah, he calls out the mountains, and now he's going to give us three different examples of how he has been faithful to his people. He's going to show us three different major, major, major ways that God has consistently been faithful to his people, showing them how he has delivered them and been faithful and really just been such a good, good God to them. And so here's exhibit A, God's providence out of Egypt. Oh, my people, verse three, what have I done to you? Have I wearied you? Did I mean, a, a, good, a good word to put in to supply in there is burdened. I don't know why we translated it weary, but burdened is a really helpful word to put in there. Have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. You guys remember this from the book of Exodus? This is the Exodus event. Do you remember one specific really, really, really crazy thing that happened in that story? Like one just like mind-blowing thing. What, what, what really comes to my mind when I look at this story is the parting of the Red Sea. Familiar? We remember this? The parting of the Red Sea, how God miraculously, nothing short of supernatural, supernaturally, miraculously delivered his people from slavery. Have I wearied you? Have I burdened you? I'm sorry for burdening you by taking the burden of slavery off of you. I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I gave you a new life. I gave you a new history. I gave you a new identity. Sorry for wearying you. 
And I just, I mean, I don't think God is like passive aggressive or sassy like this, but I can't help but like, like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I make you tired? Oh, I've been up all night. It's like a little baby, like a newborn baby. Like oh, the mom, the dad wakes up and then like mom's been up seven times that night. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. You're tired. You didn't sleep well with your seven and a half hours. I've been up five times tonight. I'm sorry. Go ahead and take a nap. But that's what I kind of see. <laughs> like, I don't think God is like a, like a newborn mother, but um, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. Look at the way I delivered you in nothing short of supernatural experiences. The Red Sea parted. I know we read over that in Sunday school and like it's, okay, God parted the Red Sea, you got it. That's crazy. Like, have you ever tried that? Just, no, it <laughs> doesn't work very well. So that's the first exhibit. Exhibit A, God's providence out of Egypt in a very supernatural way. Here's the second one. God's providence against Balak. You guys familiar with the Balak and Balaam story? I'll summarize it for you because again, it's in the text and I think this is really what Micah is trying to push us towards. So Balak is a king who hires Balaam. Balaam is a prophet who just brings uh, just chaos upon nations. Like anyone tries to come against Israel and he's like, and he just spouts just curses on these people and then they drop dead. And then other, uh, just whatever happens, whatever Balaam says happens. And so Balak gets word of this and says, I could use that. Like I'll hire this guy to come and speak out against Israel. He hires him. And then God says, yeah, okay, go, but only say what I tell you to say. And then he has this weird experience. You guys tracking with me from Numbers chapter 22? He has this crazy experience with a specific animal. Do you remember what animal that is? It's a donkey. He's going to try and curse Israel. And it says the, an angel of the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And this donkey starts talking to him after he's kicked the donkey three times saying like, hey, let's go. Come on. We got to go. And the donkey starts talking to him like a donkey opens his mouth and says, what are you doing? Why are you kicking me? It's a crazy story. Numbers 22 through 24. Write it down and we'll read it later. But it's just hilarious. When was the last time you saw a donkey talk? Like, Shrek, okay. I'm a donkey, Shrek. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shrek, yes. But in, in the real world, when was the last time you saw a donkey speak? It doesn't happen very often, right? So we see God's providence against Balak. Remember what Balak king of Moab devised. Remember what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. A donkey stopped this guy. So, so far we have two exhibits, exhibit A and exhibit B. God provided a way out of Egypt by parting the Red Sea. And then a donkey talks to this guy and says, hey, don't curse Israel. You're actually going to bring blessings to Israel. And here's the third one. God provides a way across the Jordan. And here's that word we got to be careful with. And what happened, Israel? from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Do you guys know this story? Do you know what happened between these two cities? Joshua chapter four. I think I have the text in here. I do. Basically what happens here, we'll get to there in a second, but what happens here is God has again done something outrageous. God has outrageously provided for his people in nothing short of miraculous deliverance. This is right before they're entering into the promised land. And the reason I'm setting up the passage this way is because I want you to realize what's in gold on here. He says, don't forget. Remember the deliverance of God. And this comes from Joshua chapter four, but don't forget what has happened. Here it is. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? 
they, when they went through the, the Jordan River, they picked up 12 stones because the, there was water and then there was no water because God spread the, the, the river and they grabbed 12 stones and made a pile. And then he says this, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what are these stones? Why is there a pile of stones here? What are these for? You shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Where there was water before, God opened it. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Why did he do this? So that the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So that you'll know. We're going to set up these 12 stones so that you'll know. Israel, did you forget? Parting the Red Sea. Doesn't happen very often. I think I would remember if I saw RSM Lake just like open up. Wow, that's crazy. Walk across. Doesn't happen often. The angel of the Lord opens the mouth of a donkey. Doesn't happen very often. And then he parts the Jordan River and says, do this so you never forget what has happened. Do this so you never forget the power of God. Oh, my people, verse 3, what have I done to you? Have I wearied you? I'm sorry. Talk to the mountains. Talk to the mountains that have seen my faithfulness. Talk to the mountains that have seen me provide time and time and time again in nothing short of supernatural ways. Talk to the mountains. Remember. Remember this stuff. Do you remember? We've seen God work in, in pretty miraculous ways, I'd say. At some point in your life, I'm sure you can pinpoint something that was fairly miraculous where it just shouldn't have gone well for you and God had favor on you. The lines fell in a pleasing place. God does this stuff for his people. Maybe not supernatural like parting a Red Sea or talking to you from the mouth of a dog while you're on a walk or something like that, but, but God has probably done something in your life where you're like, that had to have been God. Like that just, that doesn't happen. Remember. Remember the faithfulness of God. Know the faithfulness of God. So that was our first point. God's providence is faithfully upon his people and it is consistently upon his people. And God is an unchanging God, am I right? God does not change. God is a faithful, consistent God who provides for his people. Here's our second point, ritual. However, ritual does not appease wrath. Remember the beginning, how I was talking about how culture had crept in to the history of Israel. Culture had crept into their practices. It was the pagan culture around them. The pagan culture had crept in. And so what they're going to do now is jump straight to, uh oh, what do we do to make God happy? God's angry at us. Like, he has an indictment against us, and we're going to have to talk to the mountains? Oh, golly, this does not look good for me. What do I do to appease his wrath? Oh, here's an idea. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? I'll just go straight to sacrifice. I'll go straight to these sacrifices that is exactly what the pagans would have done, exactly what the pagans would have told them to do. Hey, just sacrifice to your God. Oh, does he want something sweet? Your God's probably... Like, thirsty. Give him some water. Go do, just do whatever your God wants. God has been providing for his people consistently. Did the people do it on their own? <laughs> no. 
very clearly not. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Burnt offering is an all-encompassing offering. Uh, there's not much left after fire. I like building campfires. Told you we do our little overnight trips to Sequoia and wherever in Zion. There's not much left after fire. Like, it's pretty destructive. Uh, there's not a whole lot left. And what the idea is that the smoke, after they burn the calf, the smoke will go up and it'll smell good for God. Oh, he's going to smell some barbecue. That'll make him happy. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with a calf that's a year old? Let me just do this thing for the Lord. Let me just, like, do this ritual for the Lord. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? And I think it's poetic. I don't think there's literally ten thousand rams that they're going to sacrifice. But, but what he's trying to do here is, man, this God's angry. I'm not just going to give him like a blood offering because that's not the whole animal. I'll give him the whole burnt offering. And he's progressing further and further. Not just a little offering, but a big offering. Well, not just a big offering, but ten thousand rams. Not just that, but, but rivers with the purest oil Let's just do this stuff for God to make him happy with us. The culture had crept in. Hey, just do a ritual for God. Just go do something for God. That'll make him happy. Shall I give my firstborn? I read this a few times and I somehow read right over how morbid this is. Uh, this is a human sacrifice. Like, did, shall I give my firstborn? I'll give my firstborn for my transgressions, for my sin, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. I think a burnt offering might be, man, not a burnt offering. How about a calf a year old? Ah, maybe a thousand rams, maybe 10,000 rivers of oil. It just gets bigger and bigger until it finally peaks at the pinnacle of human sacrifice. It's got to be happy if I give him my own flesh. See, the pagan culture had crept in so powerfully that they're going to blatantly pagan sacrifices. Blatantly pagan sacrifices. This is how we make God happy with us. Do what the pagans do. This is how we get God happy with us back on our side. Let's just do the stuff that the culture does. Let's just do what everyone else does. And that'll work, right? Plead your case before the mountains. Look at this stuff. Look at all the ways that I've delivered you into the promised land, brought you out of places that you never should have been able to get out of on your own, spoke out of the mouths of a donkey, crossed a river that should have stayed wet, like it shouldn't have dried up. God's saying, I delivered you so many times. What does he require? He's told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to sacrifice and to do this and to offer your firstborn and to give rams and to give burnt offerings? No. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? It's a little different when you read the context, isn't it? It's not as like happy. as I, we, I mean, I, I love this passage because it's, it's, what do we do? What does God tell us to do? It's right there. But in the context of it, what do we consistently try and do? Sacrifice. Different offerings. Different rituals. Friends, I don't want to get too, uh, like, scary or anything, but the culture around us is radically influencing the way we do things. 
Does anyone, like, is that disagreeable? Like, does anyone disagree with that? Culture is radically influencing the way we do church. I don't think it's short of the word pagan, but I'll just say our culture. I'm not going to address it, put a title on it, but our culture around us is radically influencing the way we do church. Radically. Friends, we need something more powerful, more valuable, stronger to answer to than our culture. He says this, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. I'm going to take these out of order because when I read this at first, it was pretty straightforward, but the, the more you sit in it, I think that there is an interesting progression Micah gives us. We're going to start with kindness and to love kindness. How many of your Bibles uh, say love mercy? The video said love mercy. Love mercy is a, another translation of this. The reason there are so many different words that they put after love is because the word that they use is kind of an ambiguous term. It's, it's not really that helpful. I mean, it's pretty helpful, but not, not the most like spot-on translation. Can I give you guys a word today? We're going <laughs> to, it's a different language. I think we can do, we'll say it together. The word is hesed. Can you say it with me? One, two, three, hesed. Now we're going to say it again, but in more a uh, Jewish way. Uh, throw a little like in there. Yeah, yeah. Splash zone. I'm sorry for the front row, but we'll say it again. One, two, three, hesed. Chesed is the word for God's covenant love. What he's trying to show here, and wouldn't that be funny? Love, love. (laughs) That's kind of weird. That's redundant. But but what he's trying to get us to see is love God's covenant love. This covenant love that is unmatched in any other context, that is is just so good. It's an ambiguous word, like I said. It's just like this really good thing. This, this good love from God, this good covenant loyalty even, there are a lot of different definitions. There's the definition of the book. It's really like, this just it hurt my head to look at. So I'm going to do it like this. Kindness. Here's a way to define it. Loving kindness. Mercy. Loyalty. Favor. Goodness. God's steadfast covenant love. We're going to go with God's steadfast covenant love because I think it's more specific to what he's talking about here. But, but really it's just this, if there was a word that was all of those in one, I would have used that word, but English doesn't have that word, so we're going to go with chesed, okay? Yeah. God's steadfast, covenant, loyal, kind, favorful love. He's saying, love that kind of love. Love that thing. However you want to define that in your own terms, whatever word you can put on that definition, love that First, delight in that kind of love, the thing that only comes from God, the thing that is just so encompassing, that is so powerful, that is so loyal and consistent and favorable and merciful. Love that. Love the love that comes from God in this covenant way. God is showing his love on his covenant people. Enjoy that. Just enjoy that and love that kind of love. And then he says, do justice and walk humbly. Here's why I took loving, love kindness first or love mercy or love hesed first. Because the other two flow out of that. If you love each other with a covenant love, if you're loving your neighbor, your family, your friends, your children, your someone across the world with this covenant love, are you going to be unjust towards them? It's kind of a shame that Micah had to say this to the people. In Micah 3, he talks about how they hated justice. You guys hate justice. You're abusing one another. 
You're stealing land from families. This is not good. You guys have taken a step away from my covenant love and you're going to injustice. You're going to hatred towards each other. You're going to pride against each other. You, you stepped off the path I had you on. Do you remember what I did for you? Remember how I was consistently delivering you out of these dangerous, difficult, unpredictable situations and I delivered you in miraculous, huge ways? You've been unjust to the people around you. You've hated the people around you. The people who are lower in status is I think specifically what Micah's talking to, but the people around us who are of lower status, we've abused them. We're proud. We're not walking humbly with our God. We've, we've gone to a place of pride and arrogance. Micah's calling us back to what God originally had. He's calling us back. Some pe- the, the, the commentators disagree. Some of them say this is all-encompassing. Some of them say it's not all-encompassing. I don't think it is. It feels to me like that's the bare minimum. Hey, guys, you are basically pagan. At least get back to this. At least get back to this justice and mercy or kindness or hesed love and humility. If you get this hesed love, if you get this covenant love and you're having it from God and you're sharing it with others, it is going to be impossible to be proud among your peers. If you get that you got something that you didn't deserve, that you have no reason to be holding on to except that God gave it to you, if you Make the connection that you didn't earn this. You didn't earn your way through the Red Sea. You didn't earn your way through the, 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 uh, the, the Jordan River. You didn't earn your way through these things. God gave it to you. If you're transformed and changed by this hesed love, by this loyal love of God, it is going to flow out. It is going to transform you. God's not after this ritual of just do the right thing, do this stuff, do the right sacrifices. Oh, maybe I'll give my firstborn child. God's not after that. And we do, obviously, I, I don't think we give our firstborn children anymore in that kind of way. We don't bring a ram and <laughs> sacrifice a ram for God anymore, right? It, maybe you do, but if you do, talk to me afterwards. That's interesting. But um, we do the same things in different ways, don't we? We try and cover God's wrath in so many different ways other than just enjoy his love. Just rest in his steadfast, unchanging, loyal, merciful, kind, hesed love. We look for it in so many different ways. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. The Lord delights in this steadfast love. I want to take a second and go to the very end of the book. And by that I mean two pages over. It's not that far. But Micah chapter 7. It's going to give us some passages, and we're just going to skate over it real quick, but, but it's really valuable. I was reading it, and I was like, oh, I have to say something about this. Like, I, I have to. I, it would be irresponsible for me not to say this. So the word hesed, again, it's used too many times in the Old Testament. I think like 250 or something. But in the book of Micah, it's used three times. Here are the other two. Verse 18 of chapter 7 of Micah, it says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. This is the glimmer of hope. It says this at the end of verse 18. He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Why doesn't God stay angry? Because of your sacrifices. Because of what you did for him. Because of the trips you went on. Because of how many people you did this with. No. He doesn't retain his anger because 
He delights in steadfast love. God enjoys this hesed, that he loves his covenant with his people. Why doesn't God stay angry at us? Because he's a God who delights in the love he has for us. But we quickly run to sacrifice. I need to do this for God. I need to do all these things for God. No, God delights in it. Question, rhetorical. If God's delighting in his covenant love for us, is it too much to ask that we delight in it as well? Is it too much to ask that we just delight, enjoy, be satisfied, just get pumped on this covenant love that God has for us as his chosen people? I think we miss the delight of God in the stuff we do for God. We miss just delighting in him because we're trying to do this stuff for him. We're trying to appease him with ritual instead of relationship. We're missing what God has called us to. That's what Micah is calling them out for, and I think he's calling us out too. Seems like it, or else I don't think God would have given us his book. But when culture creeps in and says, no, 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 here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what love is. Here's what justice is. Uh, yeah, some of you rolled your eyes when I said justice. I mean, it could, could the culture right now have any more perverse view of justice? I say that now, but ask me again in 10 years. We're not doing very well in this, in this community, in this culture. I'm not talking foothills specifically, but just we, we don't get justice. We don't get mercy or kindness or covenant love. We don't get humility. Delight in God's steadfast hesed love. There's nothing else like it. And then again, you, in verse 20, you'll show, J- you'll show fullness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. Abraham is in a, a type of just God's chosen people. So Abraham and his children. You'll show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you've sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this idea of hesed love and this do justice, love mercy, love kindness, love hesed, love love? What do we do with this? Here's the first one. Just like Israel, God's providence is faithfully upon us in all areas of our life. God provides for his people. It's what he does. He loves us and he provides for us. And so often we look for the stuff he does to provide for us, the stuff, the the gifts. God is redeeming all of creation, bringing all of creation back to him. We are at the pinnacle of that. We are the image bearers of that. He is redeeming us in everything, in the good circumstances and the bad circumstances. He is providing for us so faithfully but we go straight to sacrifice instead of just delighting in where he has us. He has us where he has us on purpose. Whatever situation you're in right now, it's on purpose. It's to get you to delight more in his steadfast love. We often look for deliverance in these circumstantial ways. Friends, I think we need to look for deliverance in just satisfaction in God's love. Satisfaction in God's hesed love. Here's the second takeaway. This week, here's a little action point for you guys. This week, reflect on some ways that culture may be influencing your view of God. Potentially, more than God himself, more than this book that he wrote us, is influencing the way you view him, love him, respond to him, approach him.
spend some time this week thinking about that. Number three, let your love for those around you flow from a satisfaction in God's covenant love. If we miss it, our, humble isn't, our humility isn't going to be very humble. If we miss God's love, our justice isn't going to be very just. Again, reference culture. If we miss God's love, we're going to pervert all these different ways of loving people, and it's just not going to be what God has for us. It's not going to be the way that God has ordained for us to love the people around us. We're going to miss it. For our God is a God who delights in hesed love towards his people. He enjoys loving us. Again, is it too much to ask that if it's something that God finds so much delight and satisfaction and joy in, that we would do the same? If it's a thing that's satisfying and sustaining the God of the universe, just a humble thought, maybe... Maybe it's something we should think about delighting in a little more often. And then finally, another action point. Spend some time this week thinking about what it looks like for you to delight in God's hesed love. You don't have to use the Hebrew word. But if you do, remember, remember to throw that in there. Remember to say chesed. Spend some time this week thinking about what it looks like for you to delight in that covenant, loyal, steadfast, unchanging kind, merciful, just overall good love that comes from God. And as you do, don't allow yourself to separate accepting that love from God. Don't allow that to be separated from flowing out into all aspects of your life. It's not this like compartmentalized love. It's an all-encompassing, all-satisfying love that I'm convinced Micah sees it as a transformational love that transforms the way we do justice, transforms the way we walk humbly. It transforms us. So spend some time this week thinking about that. Let me pray for us. God, you are so good. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your steadfast, unchanging, delightful, good, loyal, covenant, all-encompassing love. God, don't let us settle for believing we have that love if it's not radically transforming the way we pursue justice and the way we pursue humility. God, take any ounce of pride out of us. Take any ounce of injustice out of us. God, give us reminders this week to think back on what you have for us. And ultimately, God, I just pray that you continue to show us what it looks like to delight, be satisfied in your covenant love. We pray this all for your glory and for our joy. Amen.